Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick Ferry. You can find me at nickferry.com. I'm joined by, joined by, joined with a few of my friends, April Wilkerson. She can be found at wilkerdues.com. How's it going, April? Oh, good. Hi, everyone. And Jay Bates. He can be find at, found at jayscustomcreations.com. How's it going, Jay? Pretty good. How's everyone doing? I'm doing peachy keen like a jelly bean. <laughs> But you, but you're not. You, you apparently you got over a, a cold or you were sick last week. Uh, my sinuses have been kicking my butt, uh, mainly because I'm not taking the appropriate precautions when I'm making sawdust, like I should should be doing and I know to be doing, and I'm not. So I'm paying for it. Uh, this past, I guess, last Friday up until uh, Tuesday, I felt like absolute garbage so today is wednesday when we're recording this and it's the first normal day and it's it's all of the really really bad days that make the normal days just feel like cloud nine you know oh i agree nothing better than actually getting better and realizing that when you were sick you just felt like crap but um and it sounds like you got a solution to uh to breathing in some of that sawdust but before you do that do you want to um go ahead and mention the contributors Oh yeah, big thanks and a shout out to those who contributed since our last episode. David Miller, Shane Van Bursk Van All right, I'm gonna butcher these. Shane Van Buskirk, I think. Don Chester, George McCabe, and Joshua Arbach, I think. I apologize if if I totally butchered your name right then. <laughs> that sounded pretty good to me. Probably better than I would have done it. Yeah, definitely better than me. <laughs> and thank you guys for the for the contributions that that means a lot that uh, it's like, uh, I don't know, just a big, huge pat on the back saying, keep it up, guys. <laughs> yes, thank you, everyone. But you were uh, alluding to being sick, and do you think you got sick because you were breathing in sawdust, Jay? I know I was. I, I know it. it's always that, all right, I'm just going to make this one little cut without the dust collector. Or I'm just going to, I just want to turn the lathe on and just make just a little bit of shavings really fast. And it's just doing stupid stuff around dust. And uh, I, what did I do? I, I did something on the lathe Friday afternoon, and it was all downhill from there. It was, I mean, that's that's the immediate switch. It's like, oh crap, the next couple of days are, are just really going to be bad. So, uh, I'm feeling a little bit better now. And in the meantime, um, I, what's this? This is the 11th of May, and I've already destroyed the shop budget for this month because I upgraded the filter on my. Uh, cyclone dust collector. I purchased the uh, HEPA filter upgrade kit for the Grizzly Cyclone that I have. So it hasn't arrived just yet, but I'm looking forward to putting it into place and finding a respirator that doesn't uh, that doesn't that that works well with facial hair because that's one thing that I haven't found just yet. I know. So, sorry, well, Nick. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just I was like, really, you're gonna chime in on respirators with facial hair? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was only going to suggest, I, I know, uh, I've always found the one that Chris well, uh, Chris wears, uh, Chris with Tolify. Uh, he has like a full face respirator that has the seal around the forehead, goes around the eyes, and then the jawbone. Uh, and then the rest, it, so it, it actually covers his, his entire face, and he wears it. If he's in the shop, he's wearing it. So he might just be not even making cuts, but he says, if I made a cut even 30 minutes ago, I'm wearing my respirator. I need to do something like that. And that would be another excuse my wife would love for me to keep my face nice and trimmed up. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to do that, obviously, with, with the, well, I'm getting the uh, upgraded filter. 
uh, in, installed hopefully this week. I want to find a decent respirator that actually works with my egg-shaped face. And then I also, <laughs> like I previously mentioned, need to get that air filter cart, the ambient air filter cart going. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try and find a link uh, for you, Jay. The, I think it's a 3M one that I use, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm about as clean-shaven as Bigfoot on a you know Wednesday, but... Uh, it seems to seal up just fine, especially when I'm even spraying any type of aerosol paint or anything like that where, you know, you need like almost like a activated charcoal type filtration. But no, I think it works pretty good. I'll see if I can find a link and, and put that out there. Well, the best filtration is just keeping the garage door open and blowing all that crap outside and getting some fresh air in, which has been great because we've had a mild winter and, and spring has actually been dragged on quite a bit but it's starting to get really hot and with the heat comes crazy humidity where i live so uh past couple days i've been working with the door shut which is back to you know breathing and all that stuff again so Mm -hmm. yeah same same here in texas it just got to where yesterday i think it broke the first sweat in my shop to where i was halfway thinking about closing up the door and window and turning on my ac unit so it's just getting that time of year Wow, that's crazy. It's still too cold out here to to even open the door yet. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we had an, an 80 degree day like last week and I wish I would have timed my woodworking a little bit better because I have like two projects right now that I want to use spray lacquer and I can't use spray lacquer all winter because I mean, that stuff's pretty, pretty bad. But uh, I wanted to open the garage door the other day and, and spray some spray lacquer and it was back down to like 40 degrees. So Oh my goodness. Yeah. Is it going to be like 40 degrees when we go up there in July? <laughs> Man, I hope not. If so, I'm, I'm canceling my plane ticket. <laughs> no, it's July is, especially end of July. Well, I, mean, I guess beginning of July as well, but it's pretty warm. Uh, it's pretty humid too. That's actually the only thing I don't like about the heat, but uh, especially when, uh, I don't know if you guys get this with say like a polyurethane finish. Anytime it's humid, I'm wondering, have you noticed that Jay with your with your AC when it draws the moisture out of your shop that the finishes just they cure exponentially quicker? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I like lacquer so much is because it dries so fast. And then water based polyurethane, I haven't used oil based polyurethane in years because water based poly dries so fast. I just put some water based poly on. A shadow box that I was making for a friend and it was it I don't know must have just still been kind of fairly humid and uh, it I don't know I'm used to like I said yeah like the spray lacquer to where if it's you know it's hot outside and you spray it and five minutes later the, the first one's dry ten minutes later second one's dry this one took I don't know maybe 45 minutes to dry so I guess not too bad but still when you're trying to get on multiple coats yeah I've pretty much had water-based poly as my go-to finish for uh well since i moved into the shop really i've just been using water-based finish it drives so fast it's it's water cleanup it's just it's convenient and again if it's not convenient odds are i'm not going to be using it yep i agree but you mentioned speaking of i was just going to say speaking of convenience uh april had a video out about piping in some air into her shop Mm-hmm. Finally. See, it's it's really funny because I've had a 60-gallon air compressor for uh, three years. 
actually it was a gift to my husband and I kind of commandeered it. <laughs> um, but it's been down for the last two years because my shop was plumbed in with PVC and someone told me that it was unsafe and it also blew a head gasket. So my thought process was, well, I'll get it all plumbed in and then just go fix the head gasket and then voila. Um, well, I, I did the whole plumbing in thing. And then whenever I went to go, I took the head of the cylinder off. And whenever I looked at the gasket, there was all this gunk around it. Like, I don't even know what it was. Anyways, you start rotating the, the wheel on the back of the compressor and, and rusty water was coming out of it. So I was thinking, well, that sucks. I guess my <laughs> compressor is ruined. So it ended up just moving it over to Cody's shop and he's going to end up rebuilding the, um, the, I guess the motor in it. And then, um, I ended up buying a brand new air compressor. So that wasn't originally part of the plan, but it became part of the plan very quickly. But yeah, having air and having the 60 gallon air compressor hooked up, it's very convenient. I agree. I, uh, got my 60 gallon, gosh, it's been probably four or five years, but the sad, what's that? Have you found that the 60 gallon has been enough for you or have you ever kicked yourself for not upgrading to an 80? Oh, 60 gallons, I think, is, is plenty, plenty. Considering, I think the, the biggest thing, air usage-wise, that I've ever done is spraying finish and, or even like a, a die grinder. And the CFM, you know, I guess, what do, you, what do you want to call it? The CFM consumption of said die grinder or paint sprayer is actually less than what the air compressor can put out. So totally fine with that especially in a one user shop i mean you might want to get an 80 if you have multiple people but you can't be sitting there on a die grinder and a paint sprayer and an impact and an air ratchet and a mm -hmm. brad nailer you know but no 60 is plenty i just I, I always laugh at it when i think about it because every time i go to drain my air compressor of water i realize that it's still sitting on the same shipping pallet that it came on four or five years ago <laughs> I had I had plans to put like anti vibration feet underneath and all that stuff, but it's just one of those you, you hey it's bolted to a nice a nice pine pallet that seems to absorb the the vibrations just fine. I actually uh, I put the pallet aside. The past few years, Sterling's uh, pallet contest. I haven't participated just because I, I can't find a pallet in my local area. Anyways, and so as soon as I saw this pallet, I thought, well, there I go. I guess I'm going to be able to in, enter this year. So I put it aside, and I'll, I'll end up tearing it down. And I think the contest is sometime in August. So I'll just keep it until then. Yeah, pallets seem to be a location-specific thing because up where my, my brother and my dad live, <clears throat> excuse me, pallets are a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. You can just yeah. turn your head, and you see a free pallet, you know. Here... It's, you have to hunt to find a pallet. And when you do, they're soaking wet and half rotted and, and just way weathered beyond use. So it's, it's difficult around here. It sounds weird though. Well, yeah. And it's not, it's not worth the effort searching for it. I found. I probably have no excuse not to use pallets because I think there's three pallet manufacturers in town and they're constantly taking exchanges. I've, I've yet to talk to them. So I don't know if, um, you know, if they actually would give away some of the pallets or if they just junk them or if they fix them. But I don't like using them uh, mostly just because of the wear and tear on the tools, whether it's a, a planer, a joiner, anything like that. It seems to just dull the blades a heck of a lot quicker than any other type of wood. And I don't like having to tear them apart. And typically rustic style is not my style. I mean, I've done it before, but 
I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not a, a big palate consumer. Mm-hmm. Most of the stuff that I enjoy making is more rustic, um, but I'm with you. The main, the main reason is I can't find them, but then second is I can't stand tearing them apart. I won't sit there and denail it. I'll just end up getting a circular saw and, and running it down the, the length of the board in order to cut it off, and I'll just lose that wood over there. You want to know something yeah. really fun? Try tearing apart a three-seat sofa for just for like the arm rails, just a couple small little pieces of hardwood. That's not fun. <laughs> I don't know of anyone that would do that, though. I used to. <laughs> that was more out of necessity than anything. Couldn't find hardwoods. Couldn't afford them if I could find them. And um, <clears throat> man, that's not a fun, not a fun day. You know, it's uh, that brings to mind is somebody. I recently did a Q and A, and somebody left me a question saying, um, "Now that you have a shop full of tools, do you find yourself like being less resourceful?" Um, you know, he's, he said that he still remembered whenever I used to flip my, my, um, belt sander upside down and clamp it in my vice because I didn't have a, a permanent belt sander. Anyways, I just thought, uh, well, of course, I mean, but the same thing that you were just talking about, you were super resourceful and you had to go through the extra effort in order to find hardwood because you couldn't afford it. And so I can't help, but I, I enjoy being able to, um, see the progress and the whole process of, looking back on whenever we first got started and seeing where we are now and how we do things differently, you know? Like, I think I always, whenever people kind of complain about just getting started and not having a shop full of tools, I can't help but tell them, enjoy it. Because you'll be at this stage a lot, like a smaller of a time than you'll be at the kind of intermediate and advanced stages. And it's it's fun to look back and think, I don't know, look how, look, look how my mind worked and I worked around that really well and this is what I had to do and... Jay is a hunter gatherer <laughs> when it comes to to wood back in the day but but speaking of hunter and pallet projects uh Sam from DIY Huntress just released her first YouTube video we'll put a link in the uh, on the website article I'm but, so excited uh, so this is like four women on YouTube you know I'm excited There you go in the woodwork Yeah it was Oh yeah, in the in the woodworking realm, real and and five if you include Anna White. So and she puts out re- videos really regularly. So I think I think it's pretty exciting that I don't know. I'm I'm hoping more will get on this year and there'll just be more of a variety. I know it's probably re- unrealistic right now, but it would be cool to eventually get as large a variety of women on YouTube as there is men. I think it'd be cool just in general to ha- just keep the keep the whole thing growing. The more woodworking channels out there the more people who are regularly producing woodworking content the better it is for everybody it just grows the interest there's there's no downside of that whatsoever i agree there's we're way 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 away from being like market saturation you know there's just there's i don't think that'll ever i don't i don't see that ever happening i just really don't there's just so many people who are interested in woodworking who either a don't know it yet or b haven't found the online woodworking community i agree and uh, the more people that get on the more of a chance i mean just the the large variety of communication styles uh target audiences and different types of projects and um yeah i can i completely agree jay so nick what what are you up to in your shop um, right now I am finishing up a, a miter spline jig, basically like a 45 degree ramp to be able to add splines, um, against the grain in say shadow boxes or small jewelry boxes, stuff like that. 
I think I saw a photo on Instagram, and it was stunning. It looked <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I guess I could talk about that. That was just I, a photo. I, I almost... That was just an Instagram filter. <laughs> that's why it was. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually a palette. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I don't know if it's because I'm new, but I mean, is that is that a thing already, or yeah. is that something that you created? No, that's a that's that's a total thing. Okay. Um, yeah, it uh, just a way to reinforce a miter joint. Um, it, I guess it's maybe not always been a thing that it's a contrasting wood, but uh, I guess with the uh, the modern times, contrasting wood to show off a little bit of the joinery is always kind of a an aesthetically pleasing feature that you can add to it. But uh, this oh, no, one's kind of. I'm sorry, I've seen spline jigs, but not like what how yours is horizontal. It's like a keyed spline, keyed miter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm asking. Like, is that is that a thing? Like I've seen yep. the, the the traditional spline jigs, and I think you used them before in projects. Yeah, I had a video on that um, for my picture frame where I put walnut splines into a maple picture frame, and that's for you know yeah exactly. This is more of a it goes against the grain, and you can essentially with this jig that I made, I would imagine you could go seven or eight inch wide board. Um, the particular picture on Instagram was just like two inches wide, and that was just for a um, a shadow frame that I was building for a friend, and that was just aspen with walnut splines. But the neat thing about this one is that you can you can flip it 180 degrees, and then you have a, somewhat of a rudimentary uh, tenoning jig, and this all attaches to the table saw sled that I built uh, not quite a year ago. So, there's so a, it's just, is there a way to actually securely hold the material as you're working through? Yeah, on the on the miter spline portion, it I actually you know thought about designing it a few different ways, but oddly enough, just a small F style clamp held that best. Oh yeah. But on the on the opposite side for the tenoning jig, yeah, there's a built-in hold down clamp that slides through two slots and carriage bolts go through it. And on the essentially the the shoulder, the carriage bolt, you have that and this I used quarter twenty carriage bolts, so they the square portion is a quarter inch, so I made the grooves a quarter inch wide. The reason I say that is because like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, <laughs> back in the old shop when I was first starting making videos, I made, I actually made one of those keyed mitered picture frames and I, I just took some one by two poplar, routed a groove, put some dental molding in it. It looked, it looking back on it, it looks horrible. It's, it's just not that it was a great learning experience. I didn't, I didn't line up the dental molding at all. It's just, yeah, I Wait, still have why? it though. But I mention it because I, I vaguely remember having my, I did it all on my router table using a slot cutter. And I believe, I don't think it was a router table. I believe I just had the router upside down clamped in some particular fashion with a fence clamped to it. And it was kind of sketchy and got a bunch of flack for it. But yeah, safe ways to do things are always nice. Well, and that's what I was going to mention too. I, you know, I'm not obviously not everybody records their their woodworking to put it on YouTube, but that can kind of take its toll, at least on me. I've only been doing it about two years, but with this jig, it's essentially a triangle. You're you're gluing together a triangle, um, and I wanted to reinforce some of the miter joints of the triangle. Uh, I was just going to put in screws, and uh, my buddy Rich McNatt uh, had convinced me and talked to me he's like you got to put splines i'm like this is a shop jig and i don't think i've ever put splines in a shop jig maybe i have but i, I can't remember so i ended up putting walnut splines in this thing 
and I didn't have to video any of the, you know, once the splines were in. So I sat in my shop for probably three hours just sanding and breaking the corners, and it was the most <laughs> therapeutic thing because it's been a long time since I've been able to do that. Just sit with one little tiny project. It's insignificant. There's not much to it, but you kind of just milk it out and just enjoy the shop time. I'll put a picture and uh, a link to that uh, tenoning jig um, in the web article, and that way if you guys are interested, you guys can check it out. Speaking of shop time, did you ever, uh, or did you get any more progress on the hardware organizer? I did, and again, with the computers, uh, I was, through my day job and then through the YouTube stuff, I had, I was, I found myself sitting at a computer for like eight or nine hours one day, I think this was yesterday, and I, I could just, my wife must have just seen it on my face that I needed some shop time, so she goes, just take a break, go out in your shop. And start on that next project you got going. And wow. so I was out there for like three hours just cutting different sheets of wood and stuff. And it was, yeah, probably the best medicine I've had in a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. Jay, what do you have going on in your shop? Um, I saw something on Instagram, but I didn't see a video. No, no video. I made a sitting bench for my dining table. My wife wanted two benches for the dining table. No chairs, just two benches. And the way that this dining table project has gone is every little thing on this table has changed so i know if i make two benches my wife's gonna say you know what i wish for the other side i wish we had two chairs so i only <laughs> made one bench and <clears throat> it was pretty cool because she was having a bad day she came home and un unexpectedly saw this completed bench on well it's sitting on my workbench but she saw that and it cheered her up so that was cool but Aww. um I'm going to have it done, hopefully hopefully done and sitting in place tomorrow. Uh, I'm waiting on some hold-down clips to hold the top on in place, and I do need to apply a finish. But it's going to be in place for about a week, and I'm just going to let it ride and just wait for those words that I don't want to hear about making two chairs. And hopefully they don't come, but I'm, I'm, I know she's going to ask for them, so... Chairs, chairs are pretty intimidating. I like the idea of, cause I have a dining room table on my list, but the idea of making chairs, I've been looking around at all these different chairs, just thinking, man, that looks like a really complex project. If you batch, if you batch everything out, it's not so bad. I, I made a set of two by four half lap chairs, which half lap joints, uh, relatively large half lap joints. Um, <clears throat> It was a pretty straightforward process once you have the machine styled in, but I only made two, and I was. Are you talking about the bar stools? No, this was um, this was in the last shop. I made an actual dining chair with an upholstered seat. Um, I have to go look for that video. Oh, please don't! It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's it's a two by four half lap dining chair. The back, in my opinion, sits too vertical. I it had like a five degree back, something like that, maybe less than that wasn't much at all so it was more of a project to get off the bucket list than anything i didn't really have a an immediate need for chairs um so i only made two didn't have a whole situation to get them all done at the same time and if you think about it man a, a chair is a pretty involved project by itself but when you got to make a set of four or six of them man. oh yeah or eight yeah it's it's uh chairs I can see how chairs would be intimidating, um, but they're actually, yeah, they're not super difficult. The The difficult part, though, is to make them comfortable and long-lasting. Well, I mean, anyone, 
Yeah, anyone can make a chair. It's, it's yeah. That's that's the difficult part. Make them comfortable and long lasting. Yeah, I don't want just a straight back, straight seat. Like I want like a really not only good looking chair, but like with a curved back and the 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 angled and slopes and curves. And I mean, it just the type of chair that I would want for for the dining room table that I plan on making. I don't. I, I think is way beyond my skill level right now, which is really funny because running into the idea of making a chair is the first time where I've I've consciously thought. I don't think I would that I don't think that it would come out. <laughs> I think it is like a little bit above me right now. So I think that I'm probably end up going to uh, buy the chairs and make the table. You ought to push yourself out of out I, of. I, I I don't know, Jay. <laughs> I'm I'm sitting here looking at my chairs thinking I I mean I probably could. Maybe I'll give it a go and make a video of the progress and whether it, it, I succeed or fail. Here's what you do. You you use some cheap pine and or poplar whatever you want to do and make one prototype. And that'll tell you whether or not you're just insane or you think you can do it. <laughs> so the problem with that, though, is if I was just a regular woodworker um, who this was my hobby, then I then I could do that. But since we make videos for a living, I have a six day period in order to, to get it done. And if I'm if I'm a project ahead, then I have 12 days. But it's like, do I want I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to make six chairs in a 12 day period. So, and then you take into consideration the prototype. The prototype isn't going to come together first go. So all the trial and errors there. I mean, it would just be, it would take me a very long time. The struggle so just, is real. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so since I'm a content creator as my job, it's like, I can't, I can't put six chairs on my list to do. So then I can't, what am I going to do? Make a chair and then just only have one and be like, here's the video. But now I have to go buy the other ones. That's I mean, exactly I don't know. what I did with mine. You did? The two by four yeah. half lap chairs. I, I made one. You made one? Well, I made two, finished one. And then the second one I actually gave away uh, in an unfinished state. It was completely glued together, needed to be sanded, needed a, a seat upholstered and stuff like that. But I didn't I didn't finish it. I was, I was no, I was done. <laughs> Maybe but, I can uh, make like one a month or something. <laughs> Jason Brundage had a comment uh, wondering if that would be a good a podcast topic of just to get out there and do it and i think that uh that sounds like a good adage there uh that'd be applicable to april in this case just go out there and and at least make one like like jay said you might you might just hate it and just give up on it for a year but you know at least you'll you'll know going forward whether it's something you want to attack you want to try or not okay and it's always, i'm gonna do it every now and then though also it's it's nice to i've just realized it's nice to leave the camera off and just get back to this being a fun hobby and just, I mean, it's still a fun hobby. Don't get me wrong, but turn the camera off and just make something in your shop without the video going. Yeah. That, that's what this bench was. I was, I, mean, I was able to knock that bench out minus finish prep work in like two and a half hours. I was like, man, this is awesome. That, that is. But the only problem is that I, I wouldn't have a problem doing that. Cause I I'm with you. I find it really enjoyable when I can sometimes turn the camera off, but People, people don't really understand that. Like if you end up missing the, if, I don't know. I feel like people who either don't keep up with YouTubers regularly or have tried putting out videos, they don't understand either uh, not putting out content or like missing a week. And so I don't know, just, I'm always going back and forth on it. The struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle guys. <laughs> no, but uh, I think y'all have pumped me up. I think I want to try making a chair. Um, I'm not sure when the dining room is actually, it's been on my list for years. It's just a matter of getting around to it. 
And then maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll keep my my current chairs or buy some and then just make one a month <laughs> in my free time. Well, even if, if you do finalize a design and you realize, okay, I'm going to go from prototype to uh, batching it out probably would be ideal because the machines are already set up. So if you're making True. four or, say, six, you might True. you don't have to assemble them right away and finish them or stain them or upholster them all right away, but at least that way you'll have the pieces. And So if you find yourself on a Saturday with not a lot to do, that way you can just, I'll glue up a chair today, you know. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, I think you'll surprise yourself. I mean... That's the whole, I mean, that's one of the most fun things for me in woodworking is the trying a, a new technique, trying a, a, you know, a new process that I haven't, I either haven't done before or I haven't uh, gotten any good at. And so that's just kind of keeps it always interesting. No, I mean, I'm constantly learning something new and I feel like I'm, I mean, I'm not pushing myself in the sense of like doing a whole, like always saying, well, I'm going to go off and like learn a new joint today, but like any my my process is I think of what I want and I think of how I want it. And then I figure out what do I need to do or what do I need to learn in order to make it look that way. And then I just learn anything that's in my way from me completing it. And so, I, I mean, I learned a bunch of stuff that way. Um, it just, I think it's, it just so happens that like my tastes are maybe simple. And so I, you know, doing something like mortise and tendon so far I haven't run into a circumstance to where um I've chose chosen to do mortise and tendons because I need to I don't know yeah. I mean are we is it on our schedule to do mortise and tendons whenever we're there yeah okay so that's what I was thinking I was thinking in my head well it'll just be the case on okay this is something I need to learn and so let's tackle it but so far typically my my process is I learn things whenever they come up in a project that I need to learn it in order to complete it the way I want it completed yeah, and just for clarification, right then, um, when we go up to Nick's place, we've got hopefully we have a tentative schedule for a bunch of stuff to knock out and uh, get accomplished, and a video on mortise and tenon joinery is one of them. Yep, and and that's actually one of the questions I get most often is I'm a beginner woodworker. What tools do I need? Oh yeah, and that I think people get intimidated by seeing somebody with a shop full of tools. Uh, give you know just a quick you know my pedigree I've been doing this 20 plus years I didn't buy those you know in the day one that I decided to get into woodworking so similar with techniques and joinery of just kind of as a need arises like oh uh, this would be a good half lap situation that's when you learn the half lap uh, same thing with the tools and how we kind of talked about being resourceful before uh, if you all you have is a handheld belt sander then clamp it in your vise and use it as a stationary one. But as you progress and the years go by and you acquire more tools, having a stationary belt sander just makes it more efficient to have a station to go to and you know just flip it on, sand what you need to sand, turn it off, and move along. Uh, I think that's the same way with tools and techniques. You acquire well them as you go. So. Yeah, well said, Nick. Well said, Nick. Well said. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I have a thought and I want to express it so bad, but it formulating the words right off the top of my head just doesn't come out very clearly. So yeah, that was, that was point on. Good job, awesome. Nick. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that definitely is one of the more common things. And I don't, I don't want ever want people to be intimidated by, Oh, you got a big fancy table saw. You got a, a, a dedicated miter saw. Trust me when I started out and, and acquiring tools, I should have, ta I should have talked about this too. Acquiring tools. I always, um, 
talk about it like other hobbies that you can't make money at this. The first brad nailer I ever acquired was because a buddy of mine wanted me to put up paneling. And I said, yeah, I could, I could put up that paneling, but I don't have a brad nailer. He's like, well, how about I buy the brad nailer? You put up the paneling, you can keep the brad nailer. So, you know, you don't necessarily even have to be out of pocket. You might just be out of, you know, some time on a Saturday or something to get some tools. Yeah. And I bought the majority of my first tools at a uh, pawn store. So secondhand. Yeah. And I, and I went for the better names. I went for Milwaukee and Makita and Rockwell, um, but they were still secondhand. So they were, they were a lot cheaper. Pawn shops around here are like pallets. Uh, there's, there's no good deals. <laughs> oh, bummer. <laughs> it's crazy. We have tons of good deals. <laughs> we have a few pawn shops around here, but there's, I don't know what it is. Like Craigslist and pawn shops around my area are not a good source for, generally speaking, not a good source for secondhand tools. You go up to where I'm from in Southeast Michigan and pawn shops have deals on every street corner, it seems like. And Craigslist is just overflowing with awesome stuff. I agree with Jay because when I went to visit him, we went to a couple and I'm like, man, this is crazy. Your pawn shops are like the same as mine to where um, I have a local one to where they they had it marked, a, a tool that's a good five years old and it's seen contractor abuse and they had it at like five or 10% more than retail. At oh, no. brand. Yeah. And that's just a matter of them not knowing what, what they have. Right. So. See here, the I mean, I walked out of the pawn store, my first one, uh, spending $110 and had five tools in hand. And so it was a great day. And then we also have a, a lot of trade days to where it's like the, the second Monday of every month. It's just a giant flea market that people put up and there's people selling a lot of like handmade crafts, like what uh, David Picciuto would probably go to. But then there's also a lot of people just... Um, selling things like axe handles and tools and wrenches and socket sets. And so, I mean, there, if you, around these parts, you can run into a good deal if you're, if you're looking for it. Yeah. And the Craigslist is bad here too, because I don't know if it's just, uh, the region I live in that we're extra frugal people, but, uh, I'm sorry, but if you've had a chop saw and it's missing the guard and it's seven years old, you can't get 5% under retail for it. It's just not going to happen. Speaking of, um, uh, sweat equity working for tools and such that, that's a great way to to start acquiring stuff when you first start out the first car i ever owned i worked five dollars an hour for 1200 bucks to get a 93 ford taurus that was a crappy crappy deal but you know i was in high school didn't have a job and that was that was a that was a car and i was helping out my uncle build his house so hey sweat equity yeah Sweat, I, I totally agree on the sweat equity thing. A, a friend of a friend locally owns a deck building company for like the back of your house building decks. And uh, anytime he um, needs a little bit of help, say four to six hours on like a Saturday, a lot of times um, he'll have like a brand new drill, like a cordless drill. And because when you're screwing down deck boards, you know, obviously each person needs a drill to be efficient. But that'll be typically his payment, and he'll say, hey, you want to come help me out? I got this brand new drill sitting in the box. You want to screw down these boards, and at the end of the day, take the drill home with you. Cool. So. I've, I've never uh, ran into a circumstance like that, but that I, I like it. I like the idea of it. Yeah. That's, that's how I've gotten a lot of my tools. That's really neat. Uh, before we get into some questions, you did have a couple things you're working on, uh, April. You want to talk about those real quick? 
Uh, yeah, uh, this this week I'm going to be trying to tackle a pool room sign for the pool room. Cody really wants kind of like a, a bar room sign. He's want, he's starting to call the room the W instead of since we're Wilkerson's the W, but instead of pronouncing it W, we pronounce it W. The W. And so yeah, the W. So uh, we're going to start calling the room that. And so he says, "Hey, why don't you make a a, a bar room sign for it?" So. That's what I'm. That's what I'm working on this week. But I'm so far ahead on projects. Uh, viewers probably won't actually see the video for I don't know three weeks, maybe four weeks. When you said pool room sign, I know that you have a pool, and I thought you were going to put a sign that, that said "No lifeguard on duty on the mechanical room." And then I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, the the billiards room, the pool room, yeah, okay. the billiards, the game room." Um, yeah. So the whole thing about being ahead on projects brings up a really kind of interesting point because I've taken photos, of course, as I'm doing these projects. And it's like, so now that I'm, I'm wanting to keep like, like viewers on Instagram, kind of a sneak peek of what's going on, but it's like, I don't know. I just find posting the old photos saying, okay, well now I tore down all this drywall, but it's, it's, you know what, you you know what I'm trying to explain? Trying to. Are you saying you're being less genuine because it's already happened? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm being like a fraud because it happened three weeks ago or two weeks ago, but I'm posting it on Instagram and captioning it as if it's happening now. Yeah. I don't necessarily see that because if you were, people just want to know what you're up to. And if you're up to editing that video or something like that, you're, you know, kind of working on the project or whatever. But I think people would much rather have a bunch of, uh, progress images and updates spread out rather than like, holy crap, she's done a ton these past couple of weeks and then nothing for three weeks. So you're saying yeah. to keep going the way I'm doing it? Yeah, I would. I don't see a problem okay. with that. And I think people would understand that too, you know? Yeah. It's not well, like, I it's hope not so. like you're saying like, I literally just did this five minutes ago. You know? Yeah. I'll let, I'll let you know if I ever get ahead, what I, what I end up doing with it. But yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. It took me two years, Nick. So there's still hope. (laughs) I've been at it 20 years and I'm still not ahead. (laughs) I, this is no joke. I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but my mom wanted a curio cabinet and I think it was close to 16 years ago. I started it and it's still not done. Nick, there's no excuse. I don't think she even wants the thing anymore, so that there's no motivation to make it. But you want to yeah. hop into some questions? Sure. sure. First question is from Paul. He says, "My question relates to dado sets and setup. How do you go about setting up your dado blades? I am looking to see if there's anything I may be missing to speed up getting the right size slash width uh, set up when making the cut." Is there a shortcut to getting the right combination of blades and shims the first time, or is it just a fiddling thing? For me, I don't use the dado stack often enough to maybe write down a certain chart or have a certain set to one side. I've only used actual dados uh, a couple times in projects, really. Um, Most of the time I use a dado stack to just hog out material for like rabbits and half laps and such. Uh, But for me, it's literally just a fiddling thing. Mine too. I know I've seen templates to where uh, people make on a scrap piece of wood and they make all the different different cuts um, and then they label it. That way they can just know, okay, that takes two spacers and the two blades. But I just, same thing, fiddle with it. I, I keep the chart that comes with it and I typically do exactly what the chart recommends. So the two blades and maybe the two chippers and then I add one card uh, from a deck of playing cards. I took the four queens out and I drilled a, a hole 
as big as my arbor is. And then I just keep that in my dado stack. And so what I'll do is I'll put in the exact amount of blades at the chart that comes with the data stack recommends, and then I'll add one card. And I found that that works pretty well. Why the four queens? Yeah, I was wondering that too. I'm, like, is I'm, it... I'm the queen of the shop, guys. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and you know, it's really funny because my dad so far in the videos, uh, I've shown him a few times because I love using the dado stack. Same thing, hogging away material just for rabbits and dados. But um, my dad's, I think, is the only one who's ever made a comment on me using the queens. He goes, was that intentional? I said, of course it was. <laughs> I guess I'd have Nick, to use you, a joker then. I was I was just about to say that. You could pull out the jokers. <laughs> either that either that, or the rules card. <laughs> rules card. <laughs> but no, I, I do the I kind of a both. I have a board that uh, I have written on it. You know, this is X amount of chippers, X amount of blades, X amount of shims, and that way I can take that board over to new plywood. Because if you if you buy you know three quarter inch plywood from the same supplier, but then a week apart you buy the same stuff, you you might be off a thirty second, a sixty fourth, whatever it may be. So that way, with this little guide, you can just plop it down on there. But another thing too, I've uh, my guide's not complete because I never actually went through all of the all of the combinations of chippers and shims. So if, if I find myself in a new combination, I get that board out and then I cut it again. But just using a, a like a micrometer um, or, you know, and measuring it and then going off of the sheet that comes with the dado stack um, gets pretty close uh, to where you shouldn't have to fiddle with it. And I mean, it's kind of an experience thing too. You know, like, eh, this is, this is one shim away from being perfect. Or maybe this is one shim too many because it's, it's a little bit of a sloppy dado, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that experience on cutting them and fiddling with them. Yeah. Also, to get to get really close right out of the gate, I mean, you can stack them up on your table saw surface on the cast iron surface um, and push down in the middle so everything is contacted like it should be when it's installed. Line your board up to the outside of your dado stack and, and use your fingers to kind of feel the difference, and you can get it pretty darn close right off the bat just from doing that that's a good tip yeah urban johnson wants to know measuring methods tape measure ruler or what uh what do you guys prefer all around or for specific use it's funny because i recently uh acquired a carpenter's ruler laura Kant gave it to me and while i was in germany and apparently they're really popular in europe but I've never seen one around these parts. But I, whenever she gave it to me, I thought it was really cool. But I was thinking to myself, I wonder when I would use this over a, a traditional tape measure. And the other day I was building a birdhouse and I wanted to take an ins, uh, a, a measurement to where something was inside. Ugh, I don't even know how to explain it. But I was trying to take a measurement and I needed to real, the, the stiffness of the carpenter's tape measure was the perfect go-to thing for exactly what I needed it to do. But the majority of the time I use a tape measure since it's flexible and quick and easy and on my hip. Are you referring to one of those tape measures that's like a solid wooden one that folds out? Yeah. I bought one of those, like, you know, I see so many people using them. I'll, I'll give it a try. I can't stand the thing. It's just not for me. I mean, it's not convenient, but there are times where it, like whenever I was doing that birdhouse, I mean, it was around 15 or 16 inches. I could have used a tape measure, but the problem is, is that it's just floppy and flexible. Whereas the rigidity of these, it was just really useful. And also whenever you're using a pencil in order, in order to draw a uh, drag and mark your line, 
again, the rigidity really comes in handy. I have a 12-inch uh, ruler that is just comes out of my um, combination square. Um, but what I really like using is I have a 6-inch, like a machinist rule. And it's very precise, very accurate. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, with tape measures, like floppy and all that. Speaking of that, there's a fast cap. And i got to say this right. Fast cap has a fast flat. See, I already screwed it up. Fast <laughs> cap has a flat back tape measure. And I've been using that a lot for laying out panels uh, and dados on panels and stuff like that. And so where a normal tape measure has the curve to be able to extend it, this has no curve. But that way when you're laying stuff out, the tape measure is almost like an upholsterer's tape measure to where it completely lays flat. And it's, oh man, the thing's a joy to use. That's uh, cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to pick one of those up. Yeah. And what, what I've been digging lately is FastCap puts in a pencil sharpener in their tape measures which I actually really love because all of a sudden, oh man, the pencil's not, you know, it's not a fine enough point because I don't, I don't typically don't use mechanical pencils. I have a couple in there, but, uh, so I, yeah, I, I have different measuring tools for, for different applications. Cause I, I don't feel as though you're going to get like, like four and five sixteenths as well on a 25 foot tape measure as you would with a six inch rule. In fact, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anything less than a couple inches, I'm using like a standard metal ruler. I, I don't have any personal preference. I've got three or four laying around the shop. They don't matter to me. But my go-to measuring device is a 16-foot just regular tape measure. I, I don't like the larger, really wide ones. This is a relatively narrow one. I bought a couple of them. They're small. They're lightweight. Don't take up much space. And, you know, for everything that I measure in the shop is, you know, six feet or less. So mm-hmm. it does the job just fine. Or even a calipers, if, if you want to get exactly like we were talking about dados. You know, a, a nice sliding caliper would be perfect for that type of stuff. All right. Well, that's it for the questions. Uh, that's all we've got for you guys this week. I want to remind you that there's a couple of different ways you can stay up to date with the podcast and get notified of any new content. You can go to the podcast website, thewoodworkingpodcast.com. And on that website, you'll find a couple different ways to subscribe to the podcast. You'll also find links to our individual websites, uh, wilkerdues.com for April, nickferry.com for Nick, and jacecustomcreations.com for myself. And there's also a contribution button on the sidebar if you would like to uh, support the show in any way. And all of those contributions are very much appreciated, as well as all of the uh, kind words and messages we receive kind of behind the scenes. So thank you very much for all of that. Uh, But that's it for this week. You guys take care and have a great day. Bye, everyone. See you guys later.